So uh, we're entering into this season of celebration of holidays, and uh, it can be can be hard. <laughs> it's not me- not meant to be hard. It never was meant to be hard. You know, in the beginning, in the creation, it was never meant to be this way. I mean, everything was perfect. Everything was perfect. But then when sin entered into the world, well, death entered into the world, and all this stuff now that we're praying for today is is part of that. It's just part of it. And it's never what God intended. Never. But there was an answer to that. There was an answer to all of this. In the midst of all the chaos and in the midst of all this uh, sickness and grief, uh, you can have joy. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. You said there's a peace inside of us, Phil, but the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit that lives in us, there's the Spirit that lives in us, and the fruit, what He produces, what He produces, not what I produce, not what I do. I've, I've tried to produce it on my own, and it just does not work. But there's a Spirit inside of me, and that Spirit produces love and joy, and peace, and patience. My daughter said to me yesterday, thank you for being patient with me. I'm like, that wasn't me. (laughs) It wasn't. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that's not me. That's this spirit inside of me that lives in me and does this thing. And at the same time, that spirit uh, that dwells inside of me, there's also this flesh, this flesh that I deal with. And that flesh comes out in emotion and feelings and all sorts of things and Sometimes that flesh and that spirit, not sometimes, but all the time, that flesh and that spirit, they're just going to battle. Right, right, in, he, right in here. And uh, I think it's just keep reminding myself what I have, what I have. I have a, I have a spirit inside of me. Spirit, spirit take control of my emotions. The spirit impacts my emotions and impacts my feelings, what I know, the truth that I know from right here to here impacts my feelings and emotions. And I say, Spirit, you need to lead, not my flesh. That When I first began to understand that, it was like walking like a baby. But now it's, it's almost, it's, it's becoming very natural. It's very natural to know that uh, I, I'm in a spiritual battle. I believe I'm in a spiritual battle. I said, over talking about overcoming the enemy at the end of Ephesians and the battle and everything else, well, he just decided to like show me that, yeah, spiritual battle is real <laughs> last week after I was done. It's like anytime you talk about overcoming the enemy and you talk about his tactics and things like that, yeah, I'll show you. And he sure did this week. He sure did. It's, it's a real deal. I believe it with all my heart. 
but the good news is uh, it's not me that's having to do the battle. The Lord will fight for me. The Lord will take care of me. The Lord will give me peace. The Lord will give me patience. He has, and I have to rest in it. So uh, all that to say, uh, we, we finished Ephesians. As we've done this, we've literally gone through Acts, and uh, Paul is in jail in Rome, and he's he writes these letters. He's handcuffed to Roman soldiers, everything else. And so uh, at this point, Luke leaves Rome. Let's go ahead and throw that map up there. I actually have a, a I'm going to do it on this TV over here. You can barely see, you can barely see, uh, but down here in the bottom, bottom right, Jerusalem, that's Israel. The, the big sea right there is Mediterranean Sea. And then, of course, you know where Italy is, and inside of Italy, there's Rome. This is where Paul is in prison. He's in some kind of like an apartment. Uh, type thing, and he's he's handcuffed. There's people that can come see him. But when he started his missionary journeys, he started up here in Antioch, and he started over here in Galatia, and he got all these churches in Galatia to uh, come to know Jesus, and then he moved over to Greece and uh, that area, Macedonia, and then he finally got to Rome, not the way that he wanted to. He was arrested uh, but look right here, you see my, it's right here in the top, top center. There's this little bitty port that's called Philippi, Philippi. And that is where he has written this letter to the church at Philippians. And I'm going to tell you how it gets delivered over there. So after he's written this letter of Ephesians, Luke is with him. Luke and Timothy are with him. Uh, and then uh, Luke leaves, he leaves Rome, and he travels to uh, Philippi, where he stays with the church. Luke's there, hanging out with them. He's, he's seen what all has happened with Paul, and he's going to testify. Titus travels to the island of Crete, which is like right there, that little island down here is Crete, and Titus travels down there, and he plants a number of churches down there. We know all this because we look at Acts and we look at the letters that Paul wrote and we pull all this information together to kind of put it in a chronological order. So now we're at the spring of 62, spring of 62 AD. This is about the same time that some of the Gospels are actually being written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's a little bit later. But they're all this is happening at the same time. So they don't have what you have. They don't have that. These are actual hand letters that are transcribed. Like, you know what it's like to copy something. Sometimes it's not exact. Every jot and tittle is not exact. But they transcribe these, and they pass these letters. They pass these letters around to the churches so that all can read it. And this is what has happened. After some time, Paul, Paul's literally getting ready to address the situation in Philippi that Epaphras, one of his disciples, has come and told him about. 
the problems that they're dealing with are not much different than what we would deal with in the church today. There's contentions, there's grumblings, there's disputes, and they're all rooted, they're all rooted in this pride and just this petty jealousy within the church, which, of course, the evil one will sow that thread. He'll sow it today. There's, there's two sisters in particular, Yodia and Syntyche. They kind of get at it, and he eventually tries to get Luke to go to put some salve on that whole relationship because they're quarreling with each other. And at the same time, the Philippians, the church there, they're receiving persecution. They're receiving persecution from the Romans. They're receiving persecution from the Judaizers. Remember that whole thing? The Judaizers are coming in and saying, hey, everything that Paul told you is not true. You still need to be circumcised. You still need to follow the law. You still need to do all these things. So now this church is just like being beaten. They're being agitated by Jewish missionaries. And Paul's like, I, I, I need to encourage this group of people. Epaphras had this illness, and he's recovered from it, and Paul sends him to Philippi. He plans to send Timothy there as well, but once he learns about his upcoming trial, Paul's getting ready to go on trial. He thinks that he's going to be set free. He thinks he's going to be set free, and when he's set free, that him and Timothy will go over to Philippi together and encourage him. But he wants to send Timothy to just keep getting a report. How's, how's the church doing? How's the church doing? We do that with Facebook. Like literally, we keep up with most of you, Facebook, social networking, and things like that. We see your pictures. We see things. But I, And then I didn't know about your dad's celebration of life. I absolutely would have been there. But obviously, there's men that, that did know about it. And, and this is what Paul has around him. He's got men around him that are encouraging him. So this is Paul's last letter to a church that is recorded in the New Testament, Philippians. Again, it's 62 AD. Paul's in Rome. He's writing to the church in Philippians, which is probably about 12 years old at this point. Paul, in his second missionary journey in 50 AD, actually led people to Jesus at this point, and the church was established there. So now he's going to encourage them. Uh, I think a highlight of this letter, which obviously we'll get to here in a couple of weeks, is probably in chapter 2, verses 6 and 11, where Paul quotes this ancient Christian hymn regarding the incarnation of Christ Jesus. Because it does. It, it, it all comes back to Jesus. Anything that we say in here, it's going to come back to Jesus. And this is exactly where Paul takes it. In spite of his difficult circumstances in Rome, guess what Paul is doing? He's rejoicing. I mean... You think about he's been there now locked up, handcuffed to these soldiers, and he's absolutely rejoicing. Well, how is that even possible? 
I think I think like Paul, I think uh, Matt, what you said is that, uh, and the reason that you said about Friday mornings is because you believe in the gospel, you believe in the good news that this is good news, and you want more people to hear it. So you kind of broadcasted that you're meeting on Friday morning. If I can get more men to come and hear this, and I'm the same way here. I I truly believe I, I truly believe that uh, this is the good news that we're telling. I believe it. I don't I don't market it as much as you think I do. I don't talk about it. I don't really invite people here. I just literally teach the good news and let the good news stand on its own because it's awesome. But my my I wrestle with like Paul did is like how do you reach more people? I could go market it. I could go build a big building and do the show and do everything else. And, but that's not what God's called me to do. But Paul's like, I'm stuck in a prison. How do I, how do I get the good news out? You, you hear what I'm saying? You, you always want to tell more people, but how do you do that in the parameters that you're in? But Paul's sitting there literally rejoicing in spite of his circumstances because you'll see in this letter that it, his circumstances, it strengthened the fellowship of the gospel, like the gospel gets stronger as he writes this letter. And then it gets furthered as it gets spread out. Uh, I, I say this, if there's one theme, we said it out, we said it last week, what is the theme of Philippians? It has to be joy. It has to be joy. Now, uh, let me ask you this question. What is the difference between joy and happiness? <laughs> Ryan, you laugh back there. Can you, can you literally be happy and joyful at the same time? I think so. I think so. Can you be happy without joy? Yeah, I think so. Can you be joyful and not happy? Yeah. So what makes you happy and what brings you joy? That's where I want to like land on today. Happiness happiness depends on circumstances. That's that's really what it is. Happiness depends on cir- circumstances. But joy is totally independent of circumstances. Joy is accessible. Listen to this. Joy is accessible to every believer even when happiness is on vacation. Can here here's the real question is that can a non-believer have real joy? If if I'm determining right here, if I'm determining that Jesus is joy, that's the difference maker. That's that's the whole deal. Hebrews chapter twelve verse two says, "Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, 
For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand at the throne of God. He literally is looking at the cross, but what does it say? For the joy that lay before him, in the midst of him going to the cross, in the midst of him suffering a brutal crucifixion, he had joy. Are you kidding me? The Constitution of the United States... We have rights among them, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How's that working for you? Happiness is going to occur in two places. It's going to occur in the culture, and it's going to occur in religion. The culture, that's the people, the places, the things. There's processes. You can, you can literally Google how to make someone happy, and they'll give you 10 steps how to make someone happy. <laughs> really. Meditate, work out, eat right, all these things. There's processes. There's always these steps. There's things that make us happy, like... I notice all my Packer fans showed up today because they're playing the Cowboys today. It sure will make me happy if the Cowboys win today. <laughs> Some of you, it's as simple as your favorite Starbucks drink. It's what makes you happy. Finishing a project may make you happy. I don't know what makes you happy. Being with your family or your friends, uh, ice cream, right? Ice cream, yeah, yeah. Uh, traveling trips, vacations. I, I get those are things that make us happy, but again, that comes down to culture. And culture is not the answer for happiness. It's not. Because all those things can go away. And then if you say the other thing that produces happiness is religion, you you can listen to some pop psychology from Oprah. You can listen to some uh, health, wealth, and prosperity from Joel Olstein. Uh, you can even create your own God. You can go to church and they will tell you how to behave. The proper way to behave as a Christian. You can go buy books on Amazon. Just look at the religious books. The top ten magazines or just watch TV, religious television. And they'll tell you how to have happiness. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Because that's what religion produces. Produces this effect. I, I go to what Paul wrote, and I, I, I know this is, a, a, this is not a literate translation right here. It's just a, a paraphrase. But Galatians 5.19, listen to this. This is the message. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, 
frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This is Paul, literally, and you're you're going back to your translation and go, does it really say that? (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much what he says. You can pursue all those things to seek happiness. But it gets you nowhere. Walking in prosperity, incredible health, strong relationships, living in victory without pain and anxiety, that pretty much just excludes Jesus. Because Jesus said, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be... And he was the model for it. Like, literally, his whole ministry was a model of suffering. There's going to be suffering. Your, your plan for happiness probably should include God. I mean, you, you, you think if he's the model, if he's the model for it, think about what that model is. Jesus was born in a poor family. His, his dad was a carpenter. Sometimes they were homeless. It, he just had a common job. They were hungry. You ever think about Jesus just being hungry? He didn't even have enough money to pay his taxes. And then think about the relationships that that Jesus had. (laughs) Jesus had some strange relationships. His family disowned him. His friends abandoned him at times. Judas betrayed him. And the crowd, they called for his death. This is our model. This is our model. Pain, did Jesus ever experience pain? I can't think of anything more painful than the cross. And, and not just the physical side of it, but the spiritual side of it, that he took on all the sin of the world. People could talk about, you have cheap grace. No, I understand. He took on all my sin. I get it. Was he victimized? Had false accusations made about him? False witnesses? False trials? False condemnation? False execution? You think you have a bad life? Worries and anxiety? The Garden of Gethsemane? He's sitting there thinking about going to the cross, and he's literally sweating blood. Not because he's thinking about not going to the cross. It's just the evil one's pounding him, pounding him here. Don't go to the cross. Don't go to the cross. Don't do it. (laughs) I'm telling you, there are going to be days of pain. I wish we could live in those first couple of chapters of Genesis where everything was perfect. It would be awesome. We will someday. 
But yes, that fall of man occurred. And so now, what do we deal with? We deal with anxiety. We deal with depression. We deal with suicide. We deal with health issues. Look, if you can't see it, our pursuit of happiness is not working. It's not. So if you want to be happy, <laughs> and here's a few reasons why it's not working for us. It's because we literally hang our hat on someone or something. Don't, don't rely on me. Don't rely on me. I'll let you down. I've let many of you down in this room. I'm telling you right now. But if we hang our hat on someone or something, the desire I get the desire that the desire is okay. It's the discontentment that kind of ruins us. When you put these expectations on something or someone and, it, and they're not met, and we get these things that will make us happy, and they don't make us happy. Maybe for a moment. And you even put like expectations on your spouses and your family and your friends. And then even that, we create diversions. We'll watch television, Netflix. We'll go to our stinking phones. Like that thing is the worst. For some, it may be eating or drinking. We create these diversions. But let me, let me go to the very first verse. The very first verse that he says, is, this is Paul and Timothy. Paul, Timothy is his right-hand man. That's, his, that's the guy he, he depends upon. And he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. We're servants of Jesus Christ. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Now, in Acts chapter 16, we see Philippi as like the hub, the hub of the churches that all begin to develop in that area. I think it's interesting that in one verse, he mentioned Jesus Christ twice. What's this, what's this whole thing about? It's about Jesus Christ. There, there wasn't a lot of talk about Jesus it was written in 62 AD, but he's going to like put Jesus in the very first verse. Because Jesus is the, the one person that rebelled against a culture. He became a humble servant. Matthew 20, 28 says this. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve... And to give his life as a ransom for many. Man, we are in the political world right now, this last week and everything else. And it's like, you want to know what humbleness is? I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And then he says this, and this is the one that has gotten many of you, and I think you've converted to this way of thinking, but the saints, those are the people that believe in Jesus Christ. But we've grown up in this 
this culture, this world where saints mean something totally different. A saint's qualification in the official church procedures. There are three steps to sainthood. One becomes venerable, blessed, and then a saint. Venerable is the title given to a deceased person recognized as having lived heroic virtues. You have to die first to be a saint. To be recognized as blessed and therefore beatified, in addition to personal attributes of charity and heroic virtue, one miracle must be performed. Acquired through the individual's intercession is required. Now you have to have done a miracle. You had to do the miracle. And canonization requires, too, through a pope, though a pope may waive these requirements, martyrdom does not usually require a miracle. (laughs) You know what? For a Christian... It's one step. Jesus, check, done. You're a saint. And you're still, you're still alive. You're still alive. You're still breathing. And right now, you are an absolute saint. You're holy. You're righteous. You're redeemed. Not because of anything that you did, no miracles or anything, not dying, none of that stuff, but because Jesus died for you and forgave you of all your sins and cleansed you from all unrighteousness one time, and now he's made you holy. He's taken your old heart out, put a new heart in. He's separated you. He's separated you from the world, and you're a saint. Just like that. Just because you believed in Jesus. Hmm. Put that in your resume. And then uh, this whole thing, they said we, we're, we're servants. We can't, we, we're servants of Jesus Christ. Be a slave. You can either be a slave to Jesus Christ. You can be a slave to trying to get happy. You can be a slave to sin. But he has literally freed us from all that. You can be a slave to religion, or you can be freed from that. Just believe in Jesus. Titus 3.3 says, For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. He's literally removed us from all that. He did it. Not us. (laughs) Religion. 2 Peter 2.19 says, They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. (laughs) Religion is horrible. It is. If you don't know the difference between religion and just this like simple faith, you need to figure that out. Because religion's going to work you to death. And there's not going to be any happiness that comes from it in the end. It's about a list of things that you must do and measure up according to how you act and things that are posted on this list that people put on you and everything else. And again, it's selfish. It's totally selfish because it's about you doing something. It's all about you. That's what it is. That's what religion is. And Jesus came and said, it's not about me. It's not, it's, 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 it's not about me. I'm coming here to serve you. I'm coming here to serve you. I, I'm coming here in humbleness. 
man promises happiness in religion, but Christ promises joy in just understanding what you have. That's the whole thing, is knowing what you have. Have it. Have it. And I'm spending every day of my life learning what I have. I'm spending every day of my life resting in what I have. I got it. I don't need someone to approve me later when I die. And here's the thing about Jesus, is you never know what he has in store for you. (laughs) It's fun. It's selfless. It's not selfish. It's not selfish. It's fun. It's not about me. It's about Christ doing things in me and through me while I rest. That's it. Why would I become a slave? I'm I'm free already. No. <laughs> not really. Either a slave to someone or something. Who is your master? That's the real question. Jesus is my master. If I'm going to be a slave, if I'm going to be a servant, I'm going to be a servant to Jesus. Don't think that it's you. I may serve you, but it's only because I serve him. (laughs) This sounds weird, but slavery is the key to freedom. It really is. Humility is the key to joy. And servanthood, this whole servanthood thing, it's a great lifestyle for those who identify as a saint. It really is. Our identity is a saint. Our lifestyle is a servant. That's what he came to do for us. Knowing that I'm a saint makes me happy. (laughs) Knowing that I'm a saint makes me happy. Living as a servant, that brings me joy. I got it all. Father, I pray that you would just somehow, some way, show us this week the difference between joy and happiness. <laughs> that we can figure out what you have given to us and that we can just rest in that, that we can enjoy it. Even in the midst of all our chaos, in the midst of our grief, we can absolutely live in joy. Lord, show that to me this week. Let me see it this week. Let me live that this week. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.